Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hello and welcome back to another episode of the Hockey News on the E! podcast presented by BetMGM. I'm Jacob Stoller from the Hockey News alongside Justin Cohn from the Fort Wayne Journal-Gazette. And we have a third member today, Cam McGuire, the broadcaster for the Idaho Steelheads. He's been with the Steelheads since 2022. He previously was with the Worcester Railers and attended Lake Forest College in Lake Forest, Illinois. Cam, how are we doing, man? I'm good. How are you guys? Thanks for having me on. Doing well, doing well. I, I mean, all things considered. How are you, Justin? I'm doing good. You know, we're getting to uh, to gut check time. I was just sitting here before this trying to figure out all the uh, Fort Wayne players and, uh, you know, which AHL camps they're going to, which, of course, means I begin fielding the questions as to, well, are they going to return? And, of course, I have no answers for those questions because let's see if they make the team first. But, yes, exactly. and end of September, always an interesting time for the hockey writer. Absolutely. And I'm glad to have Cam here because, as we mentioned before the air, uh, at least in my job, I'm usually only interacting with you guys over email. So uh, I hope I don't come across as passive aggressive and I can uh, mend those fences and come across as a nice person that I sort of am. Um, But yeah, we're excited to chat hockey with Cam, whatnot. And, you know, we we were remiss not to start off with the fact that, you know, Cam, you're coming off being with an Idaho Steelheads team that had a historic record set regular season. Um, the number one defense, number one offense, 58-11-3 record, which is bonkers. What was it like to be behind the mic for a season like that? Uh, pretty easy. Yeah, uh, to would, be completely honest, so. right? I would uh, think so. Yeah, coming in last year is my my first year here in Idaho. Uh, couldn't have scripted a, a better uh, performance on the ice, right? I mean, 58 wins was, was a league record, and I, I think the way that we – did it too right you mentioned having the number one offense having the number one defense I know our special teams were in the top 10 if not the top five and both penalty kill and power play and uh you know I use the word easy lightly because uh there was a lot of work behind it in terms of trying to keep up with all these different records right the steelheads were setting not only franchise records in terms of their ECHL days but back to their WCHL roots when the team started back in 1997 for a couple of years. Um, So keeping up with the team records and then the league records as well. But uh, throughout the whole season and throughout the whole journey, I said there's there's worse problems you could have. So it was a a remarkable year. Uh, Certainly uh, came a little short in in the finals there against Florida, but it's it's nice heading into this season kind of with some unfinished business and a lot of key pieces coming back. Cam, we, we talked about the Steelheads often on this show, and I kept talking about the defense probably to the point where, where Jacob was getting sick of hearing about them. Um, but I really felt that, you know, despite the number one offense, the special teams, all the things you're talking about, that it really was the terrific defense, and I'll include goaltending in the defense, that drove that team. Do, do you agree? Yeah, 100%. I mean, you look at both of our goalies last year, uh, our, I should say our primary goalies who were with us most of the season in terms of Adam Scheel and Remy Poirier, who were both under NHL contracts. Uh, Remy, a third-round pick 
of Dallas getting ready to, uh, you know, be on his second year of his NHL deal. I'd suspect that he'll be up in Texas for most of the year, but it's hockey and you never know. Uh, in terms of Adam Scheele, he signed with uh, Chicago in the AHL this, this uh, summer. So uh, we most likely won't have him. Who knows, right? It's hockey. Who knows? Um, but yeah, it definitely started in terms of our defense from our net out. I mean, you look at the numbers on both of those guys in terms of, of Remy and Adam, their numbers were off the charts and they did a great job too of kind of, you know, playing a game of like ping pong back and forth. It was one night it would be Sheeler's net. The next night it would be Remy's night. And then it would kind of alternate so on and so forth. And I think there was a stretch um, where it was like 20 something games where they had alternated starts. Um, and, and the funnest thing about them to watch was their chemistry off the ice as well. They were very, very close uh, around the rink, outside of the rink. They were always hanging out together. Uh, they were each other's number one cheerleaders, and I think that was played a huge impact into their play on the ice. Um, there certainly wasn't many off nights for either of those two goalies, and you know they were kind of the two catalysts uh, throughout the season. We had a couple other goalies suit up for us as well. Obviously, Jake Kupski, who was you know heading into last season, Kupski was kind of the guy um, from his season before with Idaho. He had kind of established himself as the Steelheads goaltender and. He was terrific out of the gate. I think he was six and one with some ridiculous numbers and a couple of shutouts. And he earned himself a contract with Abbotsford in the American Hockey League. So uh, he was kind of with us for a month and then he was gone and unfortunately suffered an injury about midway through the season, which shut him down for the year. And he's over in uh, Slovakia now. And uh, Dylan Wells was another goaltender who played a couple of games for us. Even a guy like Josh Boyko who has been around the ECHL. Um, he came in and filled some holes when uh, Sheila or Remy was called up to Texas because the Texas Dallas goaltending situation was certainly interesting last year with with injuries and whatnot. So we were kind of always uh, on the on the edge of our seat, not knowing who we were going to have. But we were lucky enough um, for a bulk of the season to have that consistent one, two or you want to call it one one punch with Remy and Sheila. So, yeah, the defense definitely started from from the net out. It's uh it's a cheesy saying, uh, but it certainly did for us. But then you look at the defensive core. I mean, our off the offensive numbers from our blue line were off the charts in terms of the points that these guys were putting up. Owen Hedrick, Matt Register, Patrick Cudla, all 50 plus point getters last year. But um, their defensive play, too, is outstanding. And you even look at uh, you know our, our depth guys, you want to call them. I know you, you guys highlighted Cody Haskin in a couple of weeks ago. Uh, a, a rookie out of Cornell and him and Matt Register tied for the league lead last year at plus 53. So, you know, he's a guy that you look on our chart last year, he was maybe a, you know, a third pairing D a five, six, if you want to call it. And you stick him anywhere else, he's playing uh, top two minutes. So our, I think the biggest thing was obviously our caliber of defenders, but I think bigger than that was the depth that we had on that back end. And we felt confident night in and night out that we could, you know, sub anyone in and out. I think he saw that later in the year when, you know, everything had been locked up and going down to probably the final two weeks of the year. We were, you know, got kind of giving some guys some rest, guys like Matt Register. Um, we gave him some rest at the end of the season. We felt comfortable putting uh, those quote-unquote depth guys in. Yeah, I mean, that that was really an embarrassment of riches on, on the blue line there with, with Hedrick, Register, Kudla, yeah. Heiskanen, yeah. et cetera. It reminds me of, you know, when I used to cover – 
you know, smaller leagues, you know, like yeah. the, the second IHL or the UHL and all these teams would put tons of money into like an all-star team of yeah. defensemen. But you usually don't see this at this level. I mean, do you think, you think you were able to fully appreciate it being up close and, and watching it every night? Yeah, I mean, even a guy I didn't mention in that category, Dawson Barteau, who was on an right. NHL, NHL yeah. contract with Dallas. Like, I just talked about our defensive core for two minutes and didn't even talk about <laughs> a guy that was under an, a draft pick under an NHL contract with Dallas who was uh, tremendous for us. I mean, you look at guys like uh, Nick Kanade, who we just re-signed uh, here earlier today, who was a huge piece of – our blue line. And, you know, at the end of the year, he was kind of a guy that was in and out of the lineup, still super young. He's only 23 years old. Um, and he'll be a big piece of our blue line next year. Uh, but in terms of appreciating it, oh yeah, we certainly did not take it for granted. Uh, I mean, it was something to talk about for sure. I mean, you look at the offensive numbers, I don't have it off the top of my head, but I had tracked the number of points, goals, assists, points overall that the Steelheads defensive core had put up the year before and I think we were in like February and we already had the blue line this past season had already put up more points than the year before um so we were certainly appreciating it um like I said it it, I I think the the coolest part was those not underrated I would say guys but those guys that weren't necessarily the Cudlas the Register the Hedrick putting up you know 50 plus points for the season. It was the guys like Haskinen who had, you know, 30 points, Barteau who had around 30 points, and even a guy like Kanade who had, you know, 15 points in the back line. To put up 30 points as a defender in the ECHL is a pretty darn good season. Um, and I think, you know, those guys maybe in terms of the point production maybe got overlooked a little bit, but they were huge um, and they were uh, just as big of a reason and impact on why the Steelheads had so much success last year. It was funny because when you guys went down two nothing in the first round to Utah, it was it was shocking. It was really startling, especially with the historic regular season. But having come back from that series and the making to the finals, like how pivotal was that, you know, early struggle in the playoffs? Yeah, it's interesting to look back. I'm like, I'm starting to like look, I'm like, geez, that feels like it was a year ago and it really was only a couple of months ago. But yeah, I mean, we went down 2 nothing to Utah, and it wasn't necessarily anything. It wasn't necessarily that we were playing not it's not like we were not playing our game or we were playing bad. Um, you know, give Utah credit. They were, you know, we thought last they were a really good team last year. You know, they finished the regular season, maybe not with the record on paper, but, um, you know, they battled a lot of injuries, a lot of call-ups throughout the season, and, you know, they were a really good hockey team. So, you know, we went down 2 nothing. Um there wasn't necessarily any panic. It was kind of just one game at a time per se. Um, but you look back at it going down to nothing. You know, I think a lot of people looked at it, you know, the Steelheads had won 58 of their 72 games. You know, they hadn't really battled much adversity um, throughout the season. You know, yes and no, you could answer that question. I think there was certainly adversity battled throughout the year, I guess necessarily not you know, coming back from losses wasn't something that we had to, you know, overcome throughout the season. But there's, you know, give it in any season, whether you win 58 games or you win 42 or you win 38, you're going to at some point throughout the season from October to April, you're going to find adversity, but find it in different ways. Uh, we had a really, really close group last year. Um, obviously, it's 
you know, it's easy to have a close group when you're setting records pretty much every other week. But uh, this group was super close on and on and off the ice. Um, and I think that really helped down the stretch in the playoffs, especially going down to nothing. Like I said, there wasn't much panic um, going down to nothing to Utah and, you know, going out on the road, they say sometimes when you're in kind of a lull going on the road and, and getting away from uh, from home and getting away from the home fans might be a good thing. And fortunately enough for us, uh, you know, we went to Utah and that was kind of where we kind of hit the reset button. And then from there on out, the, you know, kind of things started to climb back up the ladder. And then the finals, you know, Florida swept you guys. Uh, speaking of shockers, that was quite startling to see. Um, but what do you think, you know, the lessons that were learned from Everett Sheen and the company moving forward into next year? Is there a sense of, you know, unfinished business with this club? I think 100%. Um, you know, I, I, I remember, and I've talked to Sheener about it, and I remember being in Florida um, and watching Florida celebrate on the ice and, you know, have the, have the party per se on the ice. I remember Sheener was one of the you know, one of the last people that got off the ice for, from, from our side of things, all the players had gone off. And I, I haven't necessarily gone into detail with about this with him. I will at the start of our season, probably when we do some sort of preview together, but he kind of was just standing there kind of looking around and, and taking it all in. Um, and I think he, I, if I remember correctly, I think he kind of mentioned something like he said, like, he wanted to remember what it felt like at that time. And I think, you know, between him and our assistant coach, Keenan Kelly, um, you know, they've been back at it all summer. And, you know, I think there certainly is unfinished business. And uh, I'm waiting for a couple of weeks where, you know, we do chat with Sheener and I, cause I kind of want to, I, I want to get more in depth of like, you know, what was going through is I didn't know like the, the, the little pieces, but I want like the nitty gritty of what was going through his head when he was out there. Cause I remember it vividly him just standing there. Uh, but yeah, to answer your question, there's certainly unfinished business. Um, you know, we have a, a huge core of guys coming back from last year, double digits uh, for sure. Not sure exactly off the top of my head to this date, how many of those we've announced, but um, you know, a huge returning piece coming back for next year. And I mean, you guys know how it is. The ECHL guys, you know, change spots. They'll go to Europe. And I think, you know, we had a couple guys that um, were certainly probably, you know, maybe headed into last year thinking it was going to be their last year. Guys heading into last year saying, I'll give one more year and then I'll go overseas kind of thing. But I think the way that the season went, um, you know, in terms of the success, uh, the appreciation that they have for not only the Steelheads organization, but the city of Boise and the surrounding area as a whole plays a big impact of why they wanted to come back. But um, I think at the end of the day, you know, the main reason that sticks out to me is coming back to kind of take care of business. I love getting into the mind of the broadcaster as somebody who, you know, considers himself an honorary broadcaster. Did you, when you get to the finals, did you, and I'm not trying to bring up a painful subject but did you start at all thinking about what your championship call would be like did you have that thought process at all or did you just put that oh, aside you really get in position yeah come you on. did you practiced in the mirror yeah I, I break this one right behind me i look at it i was like come on no i mean yeah like 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 uh, jacob kind of said yeah i think there was sort of um you know i wouldn't necessarily say the finals that there was something but i think the western conference finals we definitely you know, I'd kind of given it more thought, I think, for for the Steelheads organization, you know, hadn't been back to the finals in, in 13 years. So, you know, there was, a, there was kind of, 
you know, I, I'm kind of, I kind of fly by the seat of my pants a little bit and kind of let things happen naturally. I think, you know, to say that there wasn't anything planned would kind of be, you know, somewhat, you know, of right. a lie, I guess, but to have something exactly fully right. scripted out. No, not at all. I don't, I don't have anything. I kind of just talk and talk and ramble, but I guess going into the, the Toledo and, you know, going up what we were kind of going into game five, I did kind of want to have, um, you know, some sort of significance into that it would be the first time in 13 years that the Steelheads are going back uh, to the Kelly Cup finals. Heading into the finals in terms of a finals call, say, not necessarily, no, or necessarily, I didn't. Um, I, think, I think as the series went on, and once we started to get into a position where it started to become closer, like I said, you know, going up 3-1, in a series, then I kind of turn the green light on and think about, okay, what should, what should I say here? But I think when it's, you know, uh, the start of a series or you're down in the series to nothing, I, you know, I don't think you I didn't necessarily think of anything like that. So in terms of the finals, no, I had absolutely no idea. Um, well, I mean, I, I get it. You, you don't, <laughs> I mean, you don't want to jinx it, Yeah. but also, you, you, don't you want know, Al, Al Michael is kind of, well, <laughs> What's that? You don't want to take away the emotion, too, right? Right. Like you can get it too scripted. Right. Exactly. Yeah. But Al Michaels, like, he kind of he kind of ruined it for everybody, you know, with the the miracle it's called. Like, that's a lot of pressure now for a yeah. hockey broadcaster. You got to have a dang good call, no matter what it is, because you're always going to be compared. Right. Against, Do you believe in miracles? Like, well, so I feel like there is pressure. Yeah. Luckily for us, I don't think in terms of broadcasters, I don't think anyone's going to be able to top that. So at least we're all kind of in the same playing field. Hey, you, you got look. Every time I write a story, I'm I'm imagining this one's going to win the Pulitzer. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and then towards the end of the night, I get tired. And I said, "Yeah, eh, I don't want to win the Pulitzer." Yeah, you, all, you always go in. You always go in with these high expectations, and then when the moment comes, you're like, "I should have done that, or I should have did it this way." Or, but, um, but yeah, no, not not necessarily anything planned in terms of the finals, but certainly, certainly the Western Conference. I wanted to kind of tie in that, um, you know, for the first time in 13 years, Steelheads are going back and. I think I said something like that. I'd have to go back and listen. I kind of don't even remember, to be honest. So, you know, in your intro, I my apologies. I, I should have mentioned this then. You were the broadcaster of the year, uh, media relations person of the year in 2022. Um, and that kind of got me thinking, you know, that's great honor and whatnot. But let's back up a bit. You know, how did you get into this line of work? Did you always want to do this? What was your path? I think it's interesting to know yeah. how this started. Uh, to be honest, I, had, I didn't even know, like, I mean, it's stupid to say, I didn't even know what broadcasting was. Like, I didn't know that was like someone's job. How long ago? The uh, last two years ago? Probably a week ago. Uh, yeah, okay. Uh, <laughs> All right. Not no, to, to, to rewind it to full story. Yeah, no, I this was something that I could have never pictured myself doing. Uh, I think a lot of my family and friends, you know, to this day, they still can't believe that this is what I do. Um, <laughs> to, to backdate it, I was always I, – I was – actually like growing up, I was always, I was always kind of on like the shyer side of things, which to some people might be kind of like what, but, but yeah, I, I mean, I was always a hockey player growing up. I lived in, lived and breathed hockey. My, it was me and my brother who's three years older and uh, he played at university of Wisconsin and uh, obviously had way more talent than I did. Um, I, I, I considered myself as a, a good hockey player. We grew up in New England with all our roots back in the Midwest and Wisconsin, where both my parents were from. Um, but my brother's trajectory was well higher than mine was. Uh, I, I went to a prep school in New England and played hockey there and went to Lake Forest, a division three program and, and went there as a walk on. 
um, and actually ended up wow. getting cut from the team. And this Never was mind. freshman year. Uh, so at the time, my brother was a junior at Wisconsin and I was super bummed to, to not make the team. And, you know, cause all I had really thought about, I never knew exactly what I wanted to do, uh, you know, post-college or anything like that. I was, I was just always playing hockey. Um, and when that kind of came to an end, I didn't really know what avenue to go down. Uh, you know, at, at Lake Forest, I, I lived with all our, all our players on the hockey team and, and still best friends with them. And even, even this past week, I had a wedding with one of them. And so it was kind of a, a reunion of sort of that. But yeah, in terms of, you know, when hot, when the playing days ended, uh, I, I had no idea what I was going to do. Uh, no idea exactly what I wanted to study. I, I always knew, I guess, that I always wanted to work in sports in some realm, but didn't necessarily ever give it thought to what that avenue would be. Um, so I guess early on, uh, after I had got cut from the hockey team, you know, Lake Forest, Illinois to Madison, Wisconsin, where the university is, is about two hours. So, uh, I, you know, my first year and my first two years of college, I went to, you know, pretty much every single one of my brother's games at home and would even do road trips. Um, and there was just one day where I kind of got introduced to, uh, their radio and TV announcer, Brian Posick. And that was kind of my first, uh, you know, first introduction to the broadcasting world. Um, I had gone to the game and I ended up sitting with him in, in the radio booth and, you know, had one of the mock headsets on um, and thought it was awesome. And I was like, this is your job. I'm like, you get paid to do this. Like you don't have like, this is your job. Um, so that was kind of like what kickstarted my career, I guess you could say. Um, I went back to Lake Forest in my first two years. I did a couple of games, uh, you know, my first two years of college, I maybe called six hockey games. And then at the end of my sophomore year, my brother had graduated um, and he went into the, the corporate world until so his career was over. So um, I had an internship with the Newport Goals baseball team in Rhode Island, kind of as like a, a media relations slash like broadcast assistant. So that was heading into my junior year. Um, and that gave me more experience, kind of the ins and outs of the broadcast side of things. I, you know, up to that point, like I said, I had called maybe six hockey games and maybe I had done some soccer and football. Like I had been on air, like, I don't know, maybe on air, like on an online streaming, like for division three school, like it's people's parents are watching this, like right. maybe, maybe, maybe like 10 times. Um, so I think a lot of it early on for me was like, it kind of took a back seat and watched and learned and kind of pulled bits and pieces from other people. I wouldn't really say that I necessarily knew it's what I wanted to do until heading into my junior year of college. And that's kind of really when things started to, uh, I guess, take off per se, or kind of, um, kind of grab the bull by the horns. I went back to school, kind of pitched our athletic department, this whole idea. Um, in the fall, I was kind of doing like a sports center type show with all our fall sports. And then once the hockey season came, uh, it was full go. I was calling every game at home, many of the road trips I was traveling on. Um, you know, we started doing weekly player interviews, weekly coach interviews. Um, I think where I was based geographically to played a big factor um, into allowing me to kind of grow as well. Uh, I was able to connect with, you know, people in Milwaukee, people in Rockford, people in Chicago in terms of AHL markets. Uh, but then just being around Chicago too, which is a great sports city. Um, Actually, lucky enough at Lake Forest, we had two alumni that work in the NHL now. So Brian Ray, who actually works in our affiliation with the Dallas Stars, part of their TV crew, and then Doug Plagans, who 
believe it or not, started his career here with the Steelheads. He was a Lake Forest alum as well. Wow. Um, I didn't know that until like my junior year of college. So I was able to connect with them and they were, they were two big pieces um, to kind of get the ground running for me and to kind of kickstart things and two people that I still keep in touch with on a, on a frequent basis. So they really kind of opened the eyes to me. And like I said, my junior and senior year was kind of really when I took things on full force and kind of just was, you know, it's one of those things like we, you know, at Lake Forest, we didn't really have like a broadcast program. Like I was a communication major, um, you know, I took the classes about, you know, all the, you know, those old, I can't even pronounce any of the names, all the Greek, like, like it was not for me, but I want, I knew I wanted to go down the communication path. Right. Um, but a lot of my work was all just kind of independent study stuff, I guess. I wasn't necessarily getting credit for it. I was just kind of doing it on my own and right. I, had, I had a lot of fun with it. And one of the biggest things for me was, like I said, all my friends were, you know, on the hockey team. So I was like, well, I might as well make myself useful. Like, you know, well, they're at practice. Like I would be doing research into the teams or like, you know, stuff like that. And we kind of were always on the same schedule. Um, so I think having the connection with them and, you know, it just kind of grew from there. Um, but in terms of like when I wanted to be a broadcaster, yeah, probably not till like my junior year of college. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. So, you know, listening to that backstory of that resume, which is an impressive one, I, I don't think I noticed anything that would have appropriately put you in position to dress up as a fish Probably and not. predict goal scores. So... <laughs> right. So like we, we've got to show a clip first and then we're we're gonna we're gonna talk about this first. All right, get the context. Yeah, you should have yeah, you should put the clip Hello! first. Oh my god. Everybody, and welcome back to our final episode of Predict the Fish. Although we'll bring it back for playoffs, don't worry. Cam McGuire here, aka Big Fishy, alongside Steelheads goaltender Dylan Wells for our first goal challenge and Wellsy. Uh, you look pretty puzzled right now. You have no idea what's going on. <laughs> no idea. No idea. No, what's no going I've on. never seen this before. All right. Well, this is first our time. this is our first goal fish challenge. We've been doing it all season long. Okay. So, first off, like, how much of a hard time do the players give you about this this type of segment? Well, before I get into that, Dylan Wells was actually a goalie. I, I, I maybe I mentioned him. I can't remember, but he had he was with us for one week. Um, oh God. So he literally had Gary. no idea. He had no idea what was going on. And, you know, at this point in the season, I had kind of used every player. Uh, you know, there was times where I, I at the, if I look back, I definitely used the guy two times probably. But I was sure. like, oh, I'm like, oh, Wellesie, like, we'll get him on. Like, he's only here for the weekend kind of thing. He had no idea what was going on. Like, no idea. In terms of players getting them on board, like, I was, uh, and I can get into the backstory about how I kind of, uh, you know, came about this segment, I guess you could call it. But yeah, like I was pretty scared at first when I did it, like asking a player, like, you know, cause I came into Idaho last year, my first year, I didn't know any of these players. Right. right. Whereas it wasn't like I had been here two years and a lot of the players has carried over. Whereas like 
this year, these guys are in for one because I already know all of them. And now I've got a full season where I'm already comfortable enough with them, so they better watch out. Um, but, yeah, I remember my – I literally remember who it was. It was Matt Steef. He was our first guy on Predict the Fish, and I was like – I'm literally, like, looking around. I think I even asked a couple people. Like, I might have asked her. I'm like, who do I ask? Like, I'm, like, kind of scared to, like – I'm like, I'm kind of scared to go. I'm not going to go ask AJ White right now. Like, who, like <laughs> I could call AJ, like AJ White. I had to miss a couple of games this year and he filled in and did predict the fish. Uh, but yeah, at first I was like, kind of like scared uh, to ask players, which was, it's kind of shocking after you watch that. Um, but you know, you get, you get a couple, couple of those segments in during the season. I mean, these guys, I couldn't have been more appreciative for how receptive they were of it. And I think that they enjoy it more than, you know, any fan does. I had players coming up, like not only did players like ask and want to be on the show, which was awesome, but like they would tell me that like, you know, morning skate would happen because I would, you know, we'd film in and we'd go and edit it. So it'd take a little bit. We would usually post around 1230 or one in the afternoon on a game day. So they would get, by the time they would get home, they'd be making their lunch and they would be making their lunch and they would like turn it on to watch it, to see who it was. (laughs) And it eventually evolved into this thing. And I have to give uh props to our coaches uh Everett Sheen and Keenan Kelly like you never know like if coaches like you know some coaches are gonna be like what is this guy doing like no this is not happening yeah. they they were like <laughs> fully on board like they think it's right. awesome it was at the point where we would have guys score that either I would pick or someone else would pick and I'd be up so at the Idaho Central our broadcast location is kind of up and be up behind the benches and I remember the first time it happened I think I I had picked the right goal scorer. So uh, I think it was Nick Kanade had to get in it. And Everett Sheen, literally from on the bench like this, turns around and is just smiling at me right. in the broadcast <laughs> booth. And I'm up there just like, yeah, I got one right. And it morphed into that. Um, uh, like we have What's players. your record? What was your record? Do you know? Ooh, I'd have to go back and look. I definitely had more. I think I had to wear it twice. And I think I had four or five players in it. So nice. in terms of wins, four or five losses, two, I think. Um, but we had guys oh, like I, I, I honestly, honestly, like at the end of the year, I thought guys were like not going to like say, say I picked Willie Neerham to score. Uh, there was a two on one one time with AJ White and someone else I can't remember. And I think uh, someone had picked Whitey to score the first goal. And I was like shaking because I was like, oh, he's going to shoot. He's going to shoot. He's going to shoot. And then he slid it over. And I think there was the guy that I had picked. So it was like one of those things like guys, I was like, are guys like throw, like, not like throwing the game, but like are guys like purposely not going to try to score first or like don't want to be the guy that scores first because they don't want to wear the costume? Yeah. So what are the, what are the, real quick, what are the rules? So the rules for predict the fish. So I'll usually bring on a player most times than not. Um, and I'll let them pick who's going to score the first Idaho Steelheads goal. Of the I'll game. That, of the game. Yes. And it could be, it doesn't matter. It could be if Utah was up three, nothing and we scored, doesn't matter. Like that, right. it's the first steelheads goal. Um, so I would let the player pick first. So say I had uh, AJ white on and whitey picks Ryan Demowski. Okay. Then it comes back to me and I'll pick, let's say Jack Becker. Cause I picked him about every other show. Uh, if Becker scored first, then AJ white would have to wear the fish costume the next morning in the locker room for their video session. Vice versa, if A.J. White had predicted the first uh, goal score, then I would have to wear the costume on TV during the game. 
Wait, so Perfect. that is a lopsided that is a lopsided set of consequences. You have to do an entire broadcast in a fish costume. Yeah. And you have to wear it for five minutes. Well, what, what do you want him to do? Skate the first period in a, in a fish costume? <laughs> no, I want to be his pregame outfit. That's what I want. But now the thing that's, is, that's that's not bad. That's better. We're, we're planning on doing it again, and but I gotta, I, I I'm still thinking. I got about a month now, exactly. Like I gotta find something else, like. Like they like, warm up in it, like sewer ball in, in a fish costume? Yeah, maybe. You know what would be awesome? But, like, I don't know if we could actually. Like, they had to wear it on the plane to our next road trip. That would <laughs> yeah. be electric. Now we're talking. Yeah. because And we actually, like, the guys were all behind it. And even the guy, like, ah, oh, they're like, whatever. Like, give me the thing. I'll put it on. Like, so it became into this huge thing. And our our fans love it. We, we put it on social media. And we, you know, we allow our fans to comment who they think is going to score first. And. You know, if, if there is a couple right guesses, we'll go in and pick and we'll give them a prize kind of thing. So uh, a stupid idea, honestly, that kind of just morphed into like this huge like thing around here. Like I walk like people are like I, I joke in the show. I call myself Big Fishy. And like literally that's like my nickname around here. Like people are like, what's up, Big Fishy? I'm like, geez, I guess I'm Big Fishy. <laughs> see, I, I see. I'm shameless. I think a little bit like well, you. Like I like. Too. Oh yeah. I like. I love stuff like this. Like I totally do that. Um, <laughs> like I, I mean, there's one story where where a, a, <laughs> a coach showed up like he was wearing this big like fur coat, and like I'm telling you, people in the front office have been making fun of this guy for years, and I'm like, I would wear this coat. I'm like, yeah. I'd wear it every day. Yeah. If you buy me that coat, I will wear that every day. I will show up. You know, like. You know, like like Paul Newman slap shot. You know, yeah, yeah. Fur coat. Like I started doing bingo last season, and I was waiting for a coach or a player, somebody to get pissed because I, you know, some of them would be like Jacob Stoller, you know, over under like eight penalty minutes in the first period. You know, yeah. like you know, stuff like that. But no, I mean, the fans yeah. were into it. I didn't hear anything from the players. I think the front office hated it, but. <laughs> I like that stuff. You know, anything that gets people engaged. Well, no, I love you know. it too. And I, I think for me, like I have a, I have a lot of fun doing it. Like, obviously I have a blast tonight, but I think the biggest thing for me is I, I just love entertaining people. Right. Like I, I, I think it's what it's about at this level. You know? When I see people laughing and having fun. And if there's a way that I can help do that, like I'm all in, like, no matter what I like, I'll make a fool. I don't care. Like as long as people are having fun and laughing, I think that's kind of what I saw from that. And, you know, that's just from my experiences, even dating back to Worcester days, like I'll do anything uh, as long as people are having a good time and I can be a part of that. And a reason why they're having a good time, sign me up. So Cam's going to stick around as we get to coast to coast here, just a, a few news and notes, tidbits from around the league. And one thing I wanted to bring up right away was the Kalamazoo wings, Kalamazoo wings, by the way, their roster starting to look a lot stronger than it's been in the last few years. But one of the announcements they made was adding Mariah Buja McGarry, a women's hockey player, a goaltender, to their training camp roster. So uh, applause to Kalamazoo, which has been a very progressive franchise in the league in terms of, uh, you know, initiatives they've had. Um, and, you know, I was a little bit surprised, Jacob, I had forgotten this. Like my assumption was this was the first women's player to be trying out for an ECHL team. But I forgot that in the 1990s, two women actually played in the regular season in the ECHL, Manon Rayom and Aaron Witten. Uh, you guys are probably too young. I remember very well when Manon Rayom was big news. I right. mean, she, you know, Tampa Bay Lightning tryouts, I think Atlanta Knights perhaps, uh, I always remember one of the first coaches uh, I covered here, Grant Sonier. He, he had coached her in roller hockey. But 
the reason I bring it up is I was thinking about this, thinking back, you know, into the 1990s, I never would have imagined that we'd be here in 2023 and still not have a woman really as a regular at any North American men's pro league. Now, obviously there are different opportunities now, but I would have thought, you know, through the years, there would have been more ECHL players, you know, old IHL players. And it just, it never really happened. So I like seeing something like this. You, you got any thoughts on it, Jake? Yeah. I mean, I think it's great. Um, I think that honestly, like this is awesome, but I think that we're at a point now where there's a professional women's league and one that's going to be unified and going to be like, have some actual professionalism to it, hopefully. Um, so I think that, you know, I'm a big supporter of women's hockey. Um, I'm happy that they have a league altogether. I'm happy Brian Burke's running it. And I'm super stoked about that. But at the same breath, like by all means, like I'm, I would never say for a woman to not get an opportunity in the ECHL. Um, but, you know, I, I think if anything, I, I'm just curious to know, you know, what this really, like, is this a couple games? Like what, what really is this? Um, in like, yeah, I, I don't have she the answer. She that. was supposed to be drafted. I, I thought, um, or was listed for the draft, wasn't taken in the PWHL draft. I'm curious if this is in her mind a way to showcase for that or, or she wants to go this route. That's more so what I'm curious about. I think it's great. I'm just from a, you know, logistic standpoint, I'm curious what this means. Well, now I'm disappointed that Fort Wayne is not playing Kalamazoo in preseason because all we have is two games against Iowa. Uh, speaking of Kalamazoo, and I want to get Cam's thought on this, Kalamazoo has signed Nico Blatchman. And just a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about, whoa, I thought we were getting rid of fighting in the ECHL. And now all we talk about are all these heavyweights that all these teams are signing. So what's going on? Cam, are we getting rid of tough guys or are we bringing more in? I don't know. I mean, I think, uh, you know, I think people keep saying, right, the game is kind of uh, changing. It's evolving and it's kind of moving away from that uh, not tough guy mentality, but having that that signified tough guy on a team. But like you just said, we've kind of seen these signings with Blashman. You saw a guy like Jake Schultz sign with Worcester a couple of weeks uh, last week. I think he's a big tough guy as well. I, I think you look at our team, you know, we have guys that can fight and, and, you know, but we don't have a, a signified quote unquote fighter. Um, personal opinion. I don't think fighting's ever going to leave our game at least. I think it could become to the point where it's, you know, and you have seen it in the last couple of years that it's kind of, you know, the trend is kind of trending downward in terms of fighting happening, but I just don't see hockey as a game where there's not going to be fighting. I mean, I guess. Let me, let me ask you something. Hopefully you can answer this, but because you're in the mountain division and Allen has maybe the most notorious player in the league in Mikhail Robodeau, uh, maybe you can tell us at least, you know, do the player like what do the players talk about? Like, do, do they have to know, like, boy, we better be extra attentive on the ice because there are some loose cannons out here? I mean, is, is there any special care given when you got a player like that rolling around in the division? Yeah, I mean, I can't speak for the players, but from my side of things, I, I don't think it's something you necessarily have to be cautious of every single time you're on the ice. I think the biggest thing is just you know, playing your game and just staying out of it and not worrying about it. I think one thing that we kind of saw last year, I mean, we had some some battles with Utah. I mean, that's going to happen when you play a team 16, 18 times. But I think I think where we saw things, you know, kind of mellow out and, and, and taper off a little bit was when you kind of just forget about it and kind of think that it's not even there. I think the second that you play into it, then it's game over. 
Um, cause that's exactly what, um, you know, if there's a team or a player that is quote unquote going to be the fighter, that's exactly what they want. They feed into that. Um, but if you don't show that and don't feed into that, I think it's, you know, it's just another game and it's kind of irrelevant at that point. One other uh, little point I wanted to bring up with you guys is uh, NHL rookie camps, NHL development camps. Uh, I don't know what you all have seen. Fort Wayne the last few years has had a player up in uh, Edmonton rookie camp or before that Vegas rookie camp. Uh, The coaches have gone up there. What they're doing is mostly looking at guys that could potentially end up in Fort Wayne as they get on their rookie NHL contracts or maybe even later if they're still in juniors or whatnot, it seems to me to becoming a, a, a more and more important thing for the ECHL level. And also the prospects tournaments like Traverse City, where we know ECHL officials, men and women, by the way, are officiating some of those games. I'm seeing a lot of more synergy between these NHL rookie and development camps and the ECHL. Seems like that's a positive thing to me. Yeah. I mean, I think Cam wasn't Everett Sheen at Traverse City. Yeah, both our coaches were up there. Uh, Sheener and, and Keenan Kelly were both up there. They just got back a couple of days ago. I mean, they were up there uh, for the entirety of it. Um, so I think, you know, something like that, just having those guys there shows the, the importance of the week. Yeah, I almost feel like from what I've heard from NHL scouts that, uh, you know, the, the prospect tournaments are really big for the visibility of guys that are – you know, aging out of junior or going to their first year pro and, and actually probably better serves the E personnel than anyone. Cause at those tournaments, those are the guys that are trying the hardest, right? The first round picks aren't going all out. They don't want to get hurt. So on and so forth. They're not the guys laying bone crushing hits. They're usually receiving them and then getting pulled. But um, yeah, I think that it really does help. And then in terms of, um, you know, the coaches, I think that we're going on years here where, you know, the, the, it's becoming commonplace where the AHL coach is involved in NHL training camp. A lot of times the ECHL coach can be involved in the AHL training camp, so on and so forth. So I think anything that continues that sort of trend is a benefit for everyone. Yeah, I think, yeah. Uh, so like briefly, like a lot of like, you know, from an affiliation side of things. For sure. With, with us being here in Idaho and Dallas, obviously, in Texas and Texas and Texas, like we don't really necessarily, like our coaches don't see the coaching staff of Texas during the year. So I think, you know, you look at Traverse City, our coaches were able to be there with, you know, people from uh, both Dallas and Texas. So I think it's a good opportunity and it's a good week to to kind of be in person altogether. So with different affiliations, I think it's kind of that one time everyone's proximity is different, but I think it is that one week out of the year where they can be face to face. Obviously during the season, they're talking, uh, you know, pretty frequently, if not every day, but it is kind of that one week where you are face to face with one another in the same room and at the rink all day kind of together. So I think that's pretty beneficial as well. Last thing before we wrap up, I wanted to point this out, even though it happened in Fort Wayne, but I heard a, from a lot of people, a lot of different things, a lot of panicked local fans, Sean Budrius, who was one of the ECHL's top goal scorers last year. He had 33 goals, which tied him for eighth most in the league. He had signed with Fort Wayne, I believe it was on July 11th for this season, but then left last year, so or last week, excuse me. So we're talking mid-September to go play in Europe. Um, I have seen this happen fairly frequently. It didn't shock me. 
Uh, obviously, there are ramifications for Fort Wayne, uh, but it can be a really big setback. Uh, what do you guys think when you lose a top line or a second line player in September? Uh, is it too late to still find guys to fill in that gap? Can you uh, recover if you lose a guy to Europe? Uh, last year, I saw it in Fort Wayne, too, but it was totally different. It was like a guy who suddenly retired because he had a kid and decided he wanted to be at home. I mean, I see this stuff all the time, but the fans here were losing their minds with Sean Boudrias leaving on September 15th or whatever it was. You guys see that a lot, and what do you? how do you see teams deal with that? I think Cam Shans this one. He's probably way better versed than me. <laughs> I don't think I don't think it's necessarily too late. You have a little more homework and a, a little more work to do, 100%, just because of the timing that we're at. I mean, personally, um, like you kind of said, you do see it more times not than you do kind of thing. Yeah. You know, a lot of guys, you'll see it happen throughout the summer. You know, we had a couple guys that at the end of the season, we already knew we were going to go to Europe. Um, so I think the timing of it definitely – isn't the greatest. Is it a make or break? No, I think there's just a little bit more uh, kind of boots on the ground and a lot more phone calls that you're going to have to make to try to fill that void. And I don't think it's going to be a void that you're able to fill overnight. It might not even be a void that you're able to fill for the first couple of weeks of the season. But I think as things start to progress and, and uh, you know, rosters start to trim down and, you know, hockey, like I said earlier in the show, everything's changing day by day. So, uh, you know, for a situation like that, it's definitely a, a big loss. But I think there's, you know, there's definitely room to, to kind of fill that void down the road. Absolutely. Well, Cam, thank you so much for joining us, man. This was awesome. Love, uh, you know, talking with you about Steelheads, your your journey, you dressing up as a fish and being a maniac. You know, there's not many people will find that will do that. So we appreciate your time, man, and hope to have you on again sometime this season. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on, guys. For sure. Big fishy. Big fishy. <laughs> All right, that, that caps off today's episode. We'll see you guys next week.